Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Another, another foul on board. He's third for setting a screen. Because of physical play, although Jordan Taylor just got caught with a moving screen. Hizzo's dying for a moving screen. That dreaded moving screen. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Moving Screen Podcast. I'm Brendan Quinn of The Athletic here with Dylan Burkhart. UM Hoops. Dylan, it is Monday, December 14th. Michigan State with a win over Oakland this weekend. Michigan opening Big Ten play with a win over Penn State. I think that we probably thought there was going to be a little bit more juice behind this episode if Michigan State had maybe played the marquee game of last week, but alas, 2020, right? So do we decide that would have been the marquee game? Despite I will not, I will not. Wait, which side of the argument was I on? I said, you said it was the marquee game and I said Virginia. Well, then it would have been the marquee game. Okay. No, I will not concede. I, I just need. I think that the even the Big Ten schedule, we're sort of easing our way into it. Like very much Michigan so. tipped off the Big Ten season. It's just a one game on its own on a Sunday afternoon going up against the Lions. We need like I I wish they could have come up with a way that we could have had a everyone plays a Big Ten game, like get some juice behind like the start of the Big Ten season. For sure. Instead, it's Michigan and Penn State, and now we got Rutgers and Maryland tonight. It's a little bit we're just Give us a little bit of excitement, right? You're going to. It is know. a slow roll. And on the Michigan side, it's like, here's a taste. Now wait uh, two weeks for your next bite on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day. <laughs> like, I, I know there's finals and everything, and it makes scheduling complicated at this time of the year, but they could give us a little more early season juice, I think, from the Big Ten. A little bit. Um, it works out a a bit for Michigan State in the sense that they might be able to squeeze in a game this week uh, to replace that Virginia game. But, yeah, it's kind of this weird, okay, you barely have the season on the tracks right now, right? And now it's going to be like two weeks of sporadic play or, in Michigan's case, no play at all. But I don't know. The season's still going, so we can celebrate that, right? There's Big Ten basketball. Be positive, Dylan. That's what I say. You know, that's that's really been your attitude today. So, (laughs) for those 
For, for those who weren't in uh, my living room or Dylan's office, our, our first recording did not go well, but we're not. <laughs> it ended, I think it ended with us cursing at each other, but it's all the holiday spirit. Speaking of the holiday spirit, Dylan, for anyone out there looking for a last minute present, I can't think of a better gift. You have a, a Michigan fan in your life, maybe a subscription to UM Hoops. Dylan's got um, gift subscriptions available on the site. Makes a phenomenal gift. If you have any sports fan in general in your life, maybe go to The Athletic and get yourself a gift subscription there. Um, right now we have a deal where you can buy a subscription for yourself and give one to a, uh, a friend or family member for free. So good gift if you uh, want to be a little selfish. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you got anything else to pitch over there? No, I really, that the setup of that really feels like that really suits you. Like I can just see you buying something for yourself in order to get something for someone else. It just seems to be your vibe. I don't know man. what you're trying to say, man. Just, I feel like that's just seems like it's on that brand. Was some it's not like, so subtle cheap shot there. Just trying to get you in the mood a little bit. Brings, you've brings been my, you've been my cheer. podcast partner for how many years now? We've been through thick and thin together. You're going to say something like that to me. Yeah, you're bringing negative energy today. You're bringing me down. Let's let's bring this up. Let's talk some hoops. How about that? That's what we're here for. Uh, All right. We we have to start with Michigan. Um, Big Ten opener. Win over Penn State. It did feel like a game where you don't get much out of winning but you would have gotten uh, a lot out of losing. You know what I mean? In terms of reactions, in terms of everything else. Whereas if you win that game, you kind of wash your hands of it, right? And and move on from it. Um, I've, I've certainly got some takes, but it would have been a rough loss uh, if big boy in the middle for Penn State had maybe made the front end of a couple of free throws or say – Sam Sessons uh, hit a pull-up three game winner, right? There'd be a lot of takes out there right now on Michigan's one-dimensional. There's problems. There's this. There's that. Um, But they survived. We have thoughts on drawing up your final possessions for the guy who was – Four of fifteen from the field and is a Binghamton transfer. Like, does Penn State have like, something else in the arsenal there? I mean, like Miles Dredd has hit shots in those spots in the past, hasn't he? He hit a game winner this year. I know. I I I like him as the screener a bit, but it's just kind of funny to see that it turns out that Sam Sessoms, who a year ago was playing at Binghamton, is going to be really yeah. the go-to guy of that team, even though he's the sixth man technically. Uh, I think the first thing I took from that game was Penn State is just a really unique team in that they're going to spread you out. They're going to attack from multiple spots, and they're really going to turn you over. And Michigan, we've seen them struggle with turnovers against Oakland, and then we saw it a little bit um, against Penn State. It's also a weird game where if two or three possessions down the stretch in the first half go differently, it might – just have been over at halftime, right? Michigan had the lead up to 15 with, what, three minutes left. And then uh, all of a sudden, Penn State got a couple buckets there, kept them in striking distance. Mike Smith got called for that charge. That was a three-point swing right at the end of the half. 
then you leave the door open. Those are the kind of mistakes you can't make in a Big Ten game. And Penn State hits a couple threes on the other side of halftime, and all of a sudden you're in a dogfight, right? So Michigan has to learn that lesson, and I think sort of that phenomenon is going to be emphasized this year in the Big Ten when there's not home home fans. There's no, like, the momentum's not going to put you over the edge, right? You're not going to get up 15 points, and the team's not just going to fold and go down 25. Uh, they're going to look and say, well, we got 25 minutes to go. We're going to keep playing, right? So I think that's going to be a theme really throughout Big Ten play because that just doesn't – that would happen all the time before, and now you're just not going to see it in these empty buildings. So those are my initial thoughts. I think that you have to look from Michigan's point of view that – it takes, it's a good thing to be able to win with your defense. Um, I think they got five stops in a row to close the game. That's something that you can't really take for granted, uh, especially with this team that I think we both would have said before yesterday and before the season would be better on offense than defense. So I think that's probably what you feel best about if you're Michigan and you can address some of those things you might've mentioned that would have been hot takes in a loss. If you can address them after a win, which is always a, little more comfortable of a spot to work in right right if you look at the first 10 minutes of the second half like if you want to put like let's put a circle on something to be a little bit worried about right you're you're coming out of the second you're coming out of halftime in a game where Michigan probably felt like it should have been playing a little better you'd agree I I thought for the first 15 minutes of the game Michigan was dominating the game and then from and then they basically left Penn State back in the game it was what it was 36 21 near the end of the first half um like Penn State didn't look ready to play to me and Michigan took advantage and then Michigan didn't look ready to play to start the second half and let the game turn into anyone's game really down the stretch and Michigan's offense really struggled in the second half I would say yeah like if you if you look at those first what's it, like 10 to 12 minutes of the second half where it should have been, right, kind of get some space, clean this, you know, go and make it a relatively pain-free afternoon. I think at one point, like 10 minutes to go or so, Michigan had four made baskets and three of them were from Hunter Dickinson and one was from Brandon Johns. And you're like, you look at that roster and you're saying – you know, where are, where are your guys? Where are the, the dudes of this team? Um, what, what was kind of your – how much do you chalk up to Penn State's style of play and defense? How much do you look at, like, you know, that there might be some things to kind of not raise a flag over, but, you know, be a little worried about? So I think the first thing you look at is Michigan's guy is pretty clear on offense and it's not, it's Hunter Dickinson. I mean, that's the thing that works for this team offensively every game in and out so far. I mean, he's three Kempom MVP games in a row. He's shooting 73% on twos. He's been really dominant as a post-up scorer. Um, and I mean, you can say Michigan hasn't faced a team that has a guy who's strong enough or good enough to, defend him which is true but even when you get to that point they're going to have to you're going to have to base defenses around his ability to score inside right 
um, along the way, I feel like what you've kind of lost for Michigan is sort of, okay, well, what else do we do? How do we all fit within that scope, right? So we know we can feed the ball into Hunter Dickinson in the post and he's going to produce. How, what, how does that lead back to possessions for Franz Wagner to use or for Isaiah Livers to use? And how do they pick their spots at the right time within the flow of the offense? So this is just a weird game where Michigan turned the ball over a lot. So that takes you out of a ton of offensive flow, right? I mean, Michigan turned the ball over on what, 24% of their offensive possessions? That's once every four times down the court you're throwing the ball to the other team. That's not a great number. Uh, Second, Michigan really didn't get off many threes and only made one three outside of a three-minute stretch to end that first half. So you don't have three-point scoring. You don't have – you have turnovers on a quarter of your possessions. And then – they were getting to the free throw line over and over. So all of a sudden, there's not a lot of chances to make baskets. So the field goal stats are pretty skewed, I would say, by that. Because Michigan won this game because it got to the line and made its free throws. And that that really was actually kind of the difference in the game. So I, I think it's interesting to figure out how all the pieces fit. Um, part of the reason why we were probably saying, well, Hunter Dickinson needed to start earlier in the year because you need to – figure out how that offensive flow fits together. So I, I think that at this point, Michigan has to just sell out into that identity and figure out how, how involved they can actually get Hunter Dickinson. The, the thing with the turnovers, you, you just, you just chalked it up to Penn state. I'm guessing. Uh, other than Brandon Johns, just throwing it to the other team. <laughs> I, I mean, it is what Penn State does, and it's not really what anyone else in the Big Ten is going to try to do to you, right? It's So I don't know if you can say it's just Penn State. Like, Michigan could play a team in the NCAA tournament that does that, and that would be a problem. But Big Ten teams, by and large, are more pack line teams. They're going to try to make you beat them in other ways. Penn State is pretty unique in the sense that they're going to get out and pressure and try to turn you over. I mean – the only other team that might do that is like Minnesota. But again, I, that's not what you're going to worry about over the next three months, right? I mean, if you're going to lose in the Big Ten by turning the ball over all the time, you're just a bad team. I think M- Michigan's problems have much more to do with the fact that Penn State just sells out to just try to steal the ball at any instance. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, even with all those turnovers, I, I thought Mike Smith and Eli Brooks played fairly well. For the most part. Yeah. So I, they both had a couple rocky moments early in the game, sure. but I did think that Eli Brooks, I mean, Eli Brooks turned the ball over on like the first play of the game. And then he only had one more turnover the rest of the night. Um, he was great defensively. He was one of the only guys who made shot. I mean, the two of them were four or six from three and uh, the rest of the Michigan team only made one three. So that that was key. Um, Smith made the two biggest plays of the game, really, where he made great ball screen feeds to Hunter Dickinson. Mm-hmm. What I come back to is, again, it feels like this Michigan team, they're unique in that they have so many different players who can be offensive options, but I don't know if they know whose turn it is when and how to really right. fit together. So Mike Smith, like, should he be running more ball screen possessions or – 
Is he not a good enough passer out of those spots that they shouldn't? Do they need to just force it in the post? Does doing everything else take away from Franz Wagner? Does Isaiah Livers need to ISO more or less? Like, there's just so many moving pieces, and I don't think they have a complete feel for which lever to push when, if that makes sense. Agreed. Agreed. Like, and I, I brought up Brooks and Smith because, you know, if you had that level of turnovers in a game like that against Penn State and it was from your backcourt, right, it's from your guards, from your primary ball handlers, and they were just a mess all game, you'd be like, okay, well, shit, other teams are going to try to do that. You know what I mean? But, like, other teams aren't going to be able to, around the court, kind of play the way Penn State does and get, you know, guys like, livers or whoever you know all the guys who making turnovers just because you know as you brought up so many times this summer like michigan doesn't have team-wide ball handling they just Mm -hmm. don't have that many guys on the court at any given time who can put it on the deck um for the most part the way that they're going to get be defended in the big 10 like eli brooks and mike smith can get basically get you into your offense at least it just it is kind of an outlier factor. Yeah, I don't worry as much about either of those guys turning the ball over, but they are going to have to be shot creators mm-hmm. at a higher level as the season goes on against, I would say, not just over-aggressive defenses, but kind of pack-line contained defense, right? Like, how can you go get your shot against a defense that's sagging in the paint? Um, I'm curious your thoughts on Hunter Dickinson, though. Like, what have you seen from him in six games? How much do you buy and sell kind of his early success? And what does it mean, I guess, into the meat of the Big Ten season? Uh, I would buy all of the stock that that Hunter Dickinson has. Um, his The ball screen defense is obviously a concern, especially as you play good well-coached Big Ten teams that are going to try to make him such a liability on that end that it offsets what he does offensively. Um, It's telling, you know, Terrence Williams' minutes late. Um, Part of it was the fact that Michigan State – or not Michigan State, that Penn State doesn't have a true postman. Like, you could play – Well, they had Miles Red at the five. They were were completely – they were playing five guards. I'm saying, but like that you you would just give you're just gonna give up Hunter Dickinson. And right. And if you get a stoppage of play and you could put him on an offensive possession, they they would put him back out there. But like it made I think even if Penn State was playing a true big, you're still I would have still taken Hunter Dickinson out in multiple spots. And I think you're going to see that in key possessions moving forward where they're going to have to make hard decisions on if you want him on the floor defensively late in games. Um, And the fact that you're replacing him with Terrence Williams, who's proving to be a poor free throw shooter is a whole different conversation. But to your question, um, his, his ability to not only kind of, catch and finish, but his just presence of knowing what to do with the ball, whether it's even like tipping out a rebound or whether it, it at the highest level, I, I feel like he is um, so far beyond expectations for a center at this level. 
Um, it's going to translate to league play. I have no doubt about that. He's going to, yeah, he's going to have some tough games against, you know, Garza, Kofi, whatever it's going to be. He's going to be put in some awkward spots with teams, putting him into ball screens. It's going to happen, but um, I, I, I'd put it this way. I have more questions about whether Michigan can utilize him the best way versus whether I have questions about what he can do. Like I'm more concerned about their team-wide ability to make good post-entry passes, right, than I am about him being able to catch and finish that entry pass against Big Ten play. When you see a guy like Isaiah Livers late in the game, who's a senior, make two just horrific post-entry passes, right? There was the one where instead of just taking two dribbles and making a little bounce pass into him on the block, he decides to throw it over a guy on the perimeter and forces Dickinson to commit an offensive foul to try to catch the ball. And then two or three possessions later, throws it over his head and out of bounds. Like that to me is more concerning than Dickinson and what he can do in the league play. Like how many guys, Sean D. Brown catch and make a really good entry pass to Hunter Dickinson. Isaiah Livers didn't. Uh, to be fair to Isaiah Livers, he might be a senior, but he didn't throw many post-entry passes in his first two years at Michigan. Well, I'm, I, I mean, I'm, the question isn't being fair to him. <laughs> okay. But, I, but my, that is my the point concern. remains. I, I, yeah. I agree with what you're saying. I And I think that part of this Michigan team is kind of caught in that transition from, okay, we are a team that ran ball screen offense every time down the court and got our touches from Xavier Simpson to now they're going to have to play through the post, which is a different look. I think Dickinson's interesting because like he's been very, I guess, one dimensional, you can say he always goes to his left hand, he, but he, there's no one that's been strong enough to keep him from getting to that point. Right? And, he like look, and he's looking to score when he touches the ball. Like, and he gets we, to what he needs to get to, right? Like, but we know that he can catch the ball on the right block and make a pass to the left wing. But we, we're, not, we're not seeing a lot of it now, and that probably speaks to what you're saying, where this team's going to have to evolve into something that utilizes this guy. And maybe they weren't planning on doing it as much as they're going to ultimately have to. But right now it's catch and score with Hunter Dickinson. Eventually it needs to be catch and either score or move the ball and start to really understand how to kind of play through that as, like you said, just endless Xavier Simpson ball screens. And this is a this was a tough game because I thought Penn State was really aggressive how they kind of sagged in, double team, fronted. They did a lot of different mm-hmm. things to make it tough for him to catch the ball, but all of those things – are things that mean when you catch it, you can score, right? It's not a situation where you're going to look for him to play out of it because everything Penn State did was made to make it hard to get the ball to Dickinson. Um, and then by the time he caught the ball, he usually would be able to score against a team that might allow a post-entry feed, but then bring a double team. That's when you want to um, really show some of that passing. So I think there will be matchups and games where teams play it that way, but that's just not really how Penn State played it. Um, I, he's been really good. And I mean, if you're, I just, I'm curious how they can kind of build off of this. Um, he has not really been involved at all in the ball screen game until those late possessions where Mike Smith found him. I think that's a whole kind of untapped area of his game. Uh, 
the biggest issue there is probably just that Mike Smith is so damn small. It's hard to make some of those feeds yeah. to the roll man. So that's, maybe that's a benefit where you get these two weeks, right? Like they now have more film that they could want on, on Dickinson and what defenses are going to end up doing to try to snuff him out. And, and I feel like probably have a greater realization of what the offense needs to be. Because this guy is going to be a guy who has to play 26 minutes a game. And you're not just going to be putting him on the blocks. Like you have to get him involved in ball screens. You have to be drawing stuff up where it, he is not the end game, where he is something that you are using to suck the defense in, right? And now you're, maybe your spacing is coming more out of your post touches. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. So I guess the flip side is – how worried are you about Franz Wagner's start to the year? And what do you make of what you've seen from him? I've definitely been poo-pooing it for <laughs> a few weeks here, but uh, starting to get a little like, I'm worried, but yeah, this, this is not what I was expecting. I, I, I've been waiting for that uh, kind of moment of, seeing the guy that we had envisioned all summer, right? That you and I talked about that you and I both put on our preseason first team, all league team. Um, I'd be more concerned though, if he wasn't rebounding, right? If he wasn't playing good defense, if his, the fact that he's probably not producing it offensively the way that he anticipated was deteriorating like the rest of his game. That's not the case. Like he's a basketball player and he's not, someone that just checks out if he's not making threes or whatever, but his body language on offense, like when he had, when he has the ball pre-whistle post-whistle, everything that happens, like he just does not look comfortable. And I know that's like narrative shit. That's not in the numbers, whatever, but like he just looks wholly uncomfortable on offense. No, I think that's pretty clear. I don't think, I mean, you just watch him. I think it's been, pretty apparent really his frustration over these last couple of games. And it was most obvious, I think last night or last after, yesterday afternoon. What's crazy to me is that he, it's not like he's just taking a bunch of shots and missing them. It's that he can't, he's not involved necessarily in the offense. He's just kind of there. His used to trade is down from the last year. I don't think anyone would have predicted that. I think you would have thought he could climb up into that mid twenties usage rate that you would expect to see from a guy of his caliber, I is he passing up some open threes? I think so. And you saw that one three he took like in slow motion almost where he was thinking it's just obviously overthinking it. But mm -hmm. I'm just is it like how do you make sense of the fact that he's not a high usage offensive option in this system? Like I don't know that anyone would have predicted that. Um is that just a product of what this team is going to look like. And Hunter Dickinson is going to be the only high usage guy on the team. And then everyone else just kind of picks their spots. I mean, I don't know. I mean, something that I was thinking about watching the Penn state game was like, does he need to kind of, and it doesn't make sense because last year, you know, I mean, he kind of thrived in, in the role he had, but like sometimes he's almost coming off as someone like, maybe you just need to play everything through him. Like, do you, does he just need to be a guy that, you're setting every screen for, you're letting him do whatever you're drawing every play up for, like where he's, is he not someone that operates as a residual piece? 
You know what I mean? Like, is he not comfortable in that role? And I don't know, but I'm trying, I'm just spitballing because it doesn't, you're right. It doesn't make sense. His talent and what we've seen versus how he fits in the current cohesion or lack thereof. Yeah. I mean, last year he was in a residual role and really had no problem getting shots up and using the offensive end. possessions the right. for the last right. two months of the year, really. Uh, and I, I think a lot of that probably comes down to having a point guard who gets him involved in a certain, like they, mm-hmm. like he had a good understanding kind of with Xavier Simpson who would find him and what spots he would find him in. And all that is different in this and like in the way this offense is built. Right. So that might be part of it where maybe he's not getting the ball in the spots he's comfortable with. I don't really know. I, I do think you can do more to get him basically on the move, catching the ball where he can get downhill and attack, whether it's off like a dribble handoff or coming off screens, just like dialing him up a little bit more. I, it doesn't really it, feel like they're doing that at all. Like they, like they, it does seem like they need, and that kind of speaks to my point, like Franz specific stuff, you know, like that, that's kind of what I mean, where if you're just giving him the ball and more of a freelance situation or more of a, like residual, whatever word you want to use, it, him just going one on one downhill, putting his head down is not working at all. Um, it does seem like they need to be getting into some offensive sets, and it's just like this is time for him. I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting that though. I, I thought this was going to be, I thought it was going to look different. I thought his game was maybe a little bit more advanced where he could be kind of a free flowing thing. Just everything seems forced when it gets to him. Yeah. For me, it just comes down to the fact that I think Franz and Isaiah are guys who need plays set up for them to score more than scoring out, like scoring but out. It's of so different action. when you're a guy like Isaiah, who the, the play that's being set up is going to ultimately be for probably a spot up shot. Where, where Franz, like, he does like going down. He's not a spot-up shooter. He is a, in theory, right, tell me if I'm wrong, like, in, in my mind, he's a guy who is moving and going to the basket and things like that. But he's constantly just being driven to the baseline and, and putting, putting it in an awkward spot or putting his head down and running over someone or running into the middle into a thicket of bodies and having nowhere to go, you know? Yeah, and I just look at the numbers. His assist numbers are way up from last year. He's shooting 61% on twos, which is about exactly what he shot on twos last year. So his free throw, he's getting to the free throw line more often than he did last year. So you look at all that. And so you do we not say, know what we're talking? Are we overreacting or then what? It's just that he's, for me, it just comes down to this sense that he's not being utilized. And most of his usage has been in transition, which is basically unsettled, and he can just get downhill and get to the basket. So I think it's more about what Michigan's doing offensively and how to kind of create those looks for him. Um, I feel like he's gotten super gun-shy driving after a couple charges early. It just seems like everything he's doing just ratchets up in his head like five or six degrees more than it needs to. So I, I – you look at the underlying numbers and you say, okay, well, obviously he's not shooting the ball well from three, but other than that, everything else looks fine. Right. I mean, he is passing the ball. It's just, it's, it's weird that he's fifth on the shot on fifth on the team in shot attempts. 
yeah, he, he's not involved in the half court offense very much at all. And I, I don't know if that's, if you need to say, okay, like Eli, get Franz Wagner involved in our sets. Like, is it something, I don't know if it's how teams are defending Michigan. Is it playing this? through a big man instead? Isaiah Livers has taken more threes than Franz Wagner has taken or than, than, than shots than Franz Wagner has take has made. I don't that like that's not a ideal balance. <laughs> well, Isaiah Livers has almost taken more threes than shots he's made, so that's just part of. That's, well, that's a different stat. That's a different story. But the crazy part is both of those don't guys go to the are, English major looking for good stats are under twenty percent usage, and I, we just wouldn't have expected that entering the year. And I mean, I guess you can say, well, Michigan has the number seven offense in the country, and the two guys that you expected to be leading the way have been just okay. I, it just comes down to how much balance is too much balance for me, right? Like I is think it prioritizing it, options then, right? Sounds like that's what you're saying. Yeah. Like it seems so you, like you think they should just dial in on because here's the, here's the problem, right? Dylan, like you just said earlier, Dickinson's obviously the best offensive option. Dickinson is what Michigan is offensively right now. But then it's also Wagner. Yeah, but I mean, maybe the answer is – like, How do you make all that work? Maybe the answer is just Hunter Dickinson is that good that he needs to be the 28% usage guy and everyone else is just going to be stuck in sort of that 16 to 20% usage role. And they all can do a little Sounds bit. Sounds like Iowa last spots. year. I mean, that's basically what this team is kind of setting up like offensively in a way where you're like, man, Joe Wieskamp goes for 20 one night and he's really good, but then he doesn't, he just kind of drifts out of the offense because you're just throwing it into the big guy every time down the court. Like, is that what this team becomes? Is that sustainable to ride Hunter Dickinson to that degree? I mean, that's the question. What do you think? Like, if you had to right now make the decision on which way they go, because I'm sure this is the conversation, right? It has to be happening internally. Especially right now, you get a reset because you have two goddamn weeks before your next game. These are the conversations that need to be had. So what do you think it is? So what's crazy is the schedule like works for you and against you. I mean, you can ride Hunter Dickinson right through Lincoln, Nebraska. You can ride him right through Maryland. You can, I mean, Northwestern. Like He's not going to run into a big man who's going to really slow him down until what? Maybe Minnesota with Liam Robbins. And what's that game? That's January 6th. And then they have Wisconsin on January 12th. So, I mean, Dickinson could be have like four, five, six, seven Big Ten Freshman of the Week awards in a row here, and they're just going to keep mm-hmm. playing like that. I, I, I don't know why you would not do that, right? I mean, I think Michigan probably has to get more comfortable. Like what you said with Isaiah Livers feeding the post. I honestly think Franz has been pretty good at feeding the post, and maybe that's – I mean – everyone's getting their assist numbers ratcheted up by just throwing the ball into Hunter and on the mm-hmm. block. Uh, so it makes everyone look like they're legit passers now, but yeah, that's the question about what this team becomes and what it looks like. And right now they're 11th in the country in two point percentage and eighth in two point defense. Like mm-hmm. that's where you want to be. I mean, right. But like, but isn't the bigger question always, it's like anything in life, right? It's like, what's best for you right now you're right. They can go and win their first seven games in the Big Ten by just being this 
go through Hunter Dickinson bully ball type offense, but is that going to win you the big 10? And is that replicable to make a run in the NCAA tournament? Like when you have talent, it's, it'd be one thing if they were devoid of talented wings and shooters. Right. And you're like, obviously go all in on Hunter Dickinson, but shit, the, the guys that we were told are NBA prospects aren't Hunter Dickinson. It's Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner. The the most reliable player on the team is probably Eli Brooks. Shawnee Brown is this versatile piece that can do all kinds of things. So like they got to figure out a way. And it's 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 really a a fascinating um kind of storyline here to follow in terms of this coaching staff, right? Like this is a big test that is going to be really kind of, I think, interesting to follow of what Juwan Howard and this staff does with this group because there are there are very real decisions in identity politics in terms of who gets what and what is this team going to be because you can't be all things to everybody when it comes to this group. Yeah, I still think it's a good problem to have. I think no doubt. I I, that, I, I wouldn't argue. Right, like, I'm not saying I'm not putting that in the negative. Like if I'm, you can, but it's it's interesting. If you can put it together, being able like last year, we can talk about how it was great that Michigan had this offensive identity and Xavier Simpson was so good in the ball screen game, and that made Michigan what it was. But there was also one thing you basically had to stop, and you stopped Michigan. Right in an ideal state, you can figure out like you could legitimately draw a case where by February, there are three ways that this Michigan team can attack you. You could have basically a Mike Smith ball screen package. You could have just playing through Hunter Dickinson in the post, and you could have some sort of action going off kind of off ball movement that leads to getting looks for Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner, right? Like, so I think you have time to figure it out. I think there are a lot of teams that are sort of trying to figure things out right now. The short and preseason certainly didn't help. Um, Usually it's just, it's weird to think about this season in the scope of a normal season where usually you have a couple by games, you go play a tournament, you learn a couple things about yourself and then you go in December and you play your weakest by games around finals and you sort of rebuild and retool and kind of come back for big 10 play. This, that hasn't really been the flow of this season. So it's harder to take kind of early season strong opinions of what we're looking at because Michigan just hasn't really been tested. And you and you can make the case that they are old enough and experienced enough that they could just be kind of matchup dependent, right? That they that they're okay playing that way. That sometimes it's going to be you know let's go heavy on the threes, right? It's going to be a ton of threes from Livers and and Eli Brooks and Shawnee Brown, Franz, whatever. And other games you're just going to pound. And other games you're going to do this, and other games you're going to do that. And this group's mature enough to play that way and understand that it's not going to be a singular fashion, right? Yeah, but it's fat. It's it's uh, it's quite a development to kind of see a team go from playing one way for two years to suddenly becoming this. almost structureless operation, right? That, that goes from game to game, week to week, just willing to do a totally different thing. 
I mean, if you were prepping to play, if you were to make a game plan to stop Michigan, you have to build it around Dickinson, right? Like that's got to be yeah, where I your mean, defensive right, plan starts. Right now, it's going to be you're denying post touches. You are almost inviting as many threes as possible over the other options, or yeah, or you know, forcing them to drive one on one. But depending on what kind of defense you play. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what I think you have to do with this team is basically take them out of everything and just force someone to make a play one-on-one. That's the weakness of this roster. And Dickinson is the best kind of anecdote to that because you don't have to create a shot. He's the shot creator, right? He's the shot creator. We talked all summer about who's going to be Michigan's kind of on-ball creator. The answer is throwing the ball into Hunter Dickinson and letting him go to work in there. So, I mean – He's played six college games. He's been really good. The question is just what that looks like three weeks into the Big Ten season. So that's the answer. And if the answer is, oh, well, shit, that doesn't work anymore, well, then you have another issue. But you have backup plans. So I don't know. It's a fascinating situation um, just based on, I guess, the caliber of pieces Michigan has and how they're being used. All right. Okay, so speaking of pieces, there's a couple of things I want to bring up before we Uh-oh. move on to Michigan State. Terrence Williams. What do you, so good things happen. We both agree good things happen on the floor when he's out there, right? It's whether it's the the defense that he's playing, whether it's the rebound that he gets, whether it's the extra effort play that he makes. Like the guy just makes shit happen, and. I was a little bit surprised to see it take 35 minutes for him to get on the floor against Penn State. That there, that his play in non-conference hadn't in some way earned him at least a spot. Maybe not a, you know, role in the rotation, but a spot in the rotation. Uh, it surprised me a little bit. What do you do with him? So where do you want to – like, where did you see him in the rotation if you expected him to be a part of that? I I don't know. I don't I, I don't know what – but, like, the, the fact that Austin Davis left the lineup, I thought would maybe even alleviate things a little bit more for you to find something for Terrence Williams. I mean, the problem is it's a game that – it's a Big Ten game. You're going to go with your dudes, right? Like, you're not searching for minutes and giving everyone a look anymore. You're in Big Ten play. So, I I think we saw Brandon Johns have, what, maybe one shift at the four and then three shifts at the five. Um, Brandon Johns is another conversation. He, he actually – like, Michigan's best stretch of the game was when he was actually out there at center late in the first half. And then he just – he was bad in his first shift and bad in his third shift. And then when they had to go back to give Hunter a rest, they put Terrence on the court basically as a small ball five. And he immediately got a block because that's just kind of what he does. And then they went to him again late. I I still think you have a lot more upside with – like I, I think you have to work and actually spend time trying to make Brandon Johns as a center work because he can be a much better defender with his length and athleticism than Terrence Williams. Um so at the same time, Terrence Williams played well in his role. He did a good job on a switch. I think the second to last possession, he stayed in front and forced, um, helped Michigan get a stop. He had a block in there, but I I don't know that you can really force feed him minutes really, right? Like he can only 
there's only so many minutes you can get when the guys in front of you are, he's not, what's he going to do better than Isaiah livers as a small ball four? I don't know. He'll play harder. He'll play twice as hard. That's the thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to it, but like anytime he's on the floor, I'm like, Oh yeah, I like what Terrence Williams does. You know what I mean? But there's, you're right. Not when he's at the free throw line. It's that's true. We agree. Both things can be right. Right. You like, anything Terrence Williams does when he's on the court. And you also don't know who he should be taking minutes from. I mean, if Shondi Brown w- wasn't eligible this year, Terrence Williams would be playing 20 minutes a game. I think, right, like the problem is Shondi Brown is only getting to 20 minutes basically every night, backing up every spot. So where do you need – you don't need to find extra minutes in your rotation. He can basically replace Mike, Eli, Isaiah, or Franz, right? I mean, you can just slide the other pieces around. So it's just hard to make a path to reliable playing time for Williams when it's probably going to come at the center when Brandon John struggles or it's going to come when someone else is playing flat and you want to bring some energy in. In a game where you can't really score, though, it's not like you're going to go, all right, well, Terrence, get us a bucket. Sure. If you were getting scored on, I think maybe you say, all right, get out there and just give some energy, right? Like that's what happened against UCF. And that's when he went in the game because Michigan wasn't playing hard. Yeah. So great tool to have, I guess, as the eighth or ninth guy on your bench, but I don't see him really cracking the rotation in the sense of, Oh, he's going to get 15 minutes a game now. Well, if, if frankly, if Brandon Johns plays the way that he has at some times this year. And I think this, this podcast has been as much as a, tried to be a Brandon Johns proponent over the years because you're recognizing his talent and knowing what he could be. But shit, there's just some times where you're like, what's going on here? Right. It just doesn't make, it just doesn't make sense. Um, And a lot of times in this last game and certainly the previous game were abundant examples where you're just like. Yeah. Terrence went in the game because Brandon was playing poorly. I don't think it was like some master plan that we're going to use Terrence Williams in the last five minutes of the game. It was Hunter Dickinson needs a rest and we're not going to put Brandon back on the court because we weren't happy with what he did. So I think it's, I think it's telling though that when Brandon is on the, or when uh, Terrence Williams is on the court, it's almost universally positive stuff that happens. And if that continues to be the case, well, guess where that's going to end up falling. Yeah, that's fair. I just don't know. I mean, he's not – everything about Brandon Johns, statistically, physically, everything else means he should be a better defensive option as a small ball five. He also has more offensive upside, I would say. So I just think you have to um, figure out how – I think you need to really work with him to get him there and try to hope that he can come into his role as a small ball five. I mean, so when I watch Brandon, the the moments where it's just brain farts, it's just like audible brain farts. And I don't know. I don't know what that is. You know, it's who knows, but 
how you just scratch that out of the situation and get any, it's going to be difficult for this staff to be able to come up with long-term plans rotation wise. When on one day, John's looks like the clear, obvious answer, you know, should be playing 20 minutes as a, as a either small ball five or, you know, as a four man or whatever it may be. And then other games are like, what the hell is going on here? It makes long-term planning difficult. And for a guy who's a junior now in December of his junior year, you know, it's, it's a little disconcerting. Um, I think you give it what? Four or five Big Ten games to see if no you doubt. can get it as a center. I would, give, and then I mean, if I would you can't, it, I would give it more than that. You have frankly. to cut bait at some point, I think, and you have a guy that you can cut bait with if you're frustrated with the lack of progress. Agree, agree. Um, do you have anything else from this game you want to touch on? You had some. You said you had two things, but that's fine. Brandon Johns was the other one. All right, nice lump together. I uh, know. I mean, I don't know what to make of this Michigan team. I. It's just not I, – I think we have a good sense of what Michigan is as far as, like, strengths, weaknesses, but we just don't know to what degree any of them actually measure up against teams that matter, right? So it's just like we're doing so much work to try to extrapolate, okay, well, Michigan hasn't played a big man worth anything – Hunter Dickinson will take this big of a hit when he plays against real defenses, or this is a product of that. So it's just such a chore to kind of adjust and unpack what we've seen this far. Um, And I don't think it's going to get any easier. Are you worried at all that you can get a little fat and sassy or complacent or whatever it may be because of the fact that you can play through Hunter Dickinson right now against the teams that they've already played and the next few upcoming opponents. And then when reality comes and you can't play through him, and suddenly now Franz and Isaiah are going to actually have to do things with the ball in their hands that you fall flat and you end up getting boat raced by Iowa or Wisconsin or um, Illinois. Yeah, I mean, you lose games along the course of the season, right? There's going to be like, – Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. You're going to learn from a loss, right? I've seen every probably Michigan team for the last decade start out great and then go to Wisconsin and then lose by 20 and score 45 points. Like, that's just going to happen um, at some point along the way. Uh, I think it's probably a good thing that you have maybe some other options and you have things to explore. I, I do think it's hard to fully – embrace your flaws when you're winning all the time right like mm-hmm. you, you can't you're not going to say oh well we really need to do this but it's like well we're winning right so i think that's a hard kind of phenomenon to deal with um but there's going to be a game where michigan just falls flat and loses i don't think there's any doubt about that um it's not like this team's gonna go undefeated uh i just think it's hard like i don't know if michigan is a top 15 team a top 25 team or a top 35 team right now and I don't think we can really know that until we've seen a little better competition and just to shake things out. Yeah. I, I was looking for a declarative answer on my statement and you went very right down the road. So you're worried on brand. No, I don't give a shit either way, but I, well, it's my, it's, you, it's more so. I just, I just wonder, um, 
I'm just trying to think of this team more so in terms of like long-term potential, right? And like by having this, by having Hunter Dickinson, I think I tweeted it like during the game, like where would this team be right now without Hunter Dickinson? There's a chance they'd be like four and two. Yeah, right? I, I mean, it's, yeah, it, you, it, they would have been it, a different it, it, team. It's though. like, it's like that, the ex-girlfriend, right? Who, oh. who, who, you know, who, you know, you can call <laughs> and just go back to when you don't actually have to progress. You know, but I I don't think that's fair because I don't think we've scratched the surface of what Hunter Dickinson can be at the same time, right? You you you're saying he's a crutch, but he's also the future, right? I I agree. You got to come back toward the mic there. Big Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know you understand what I'm saying though, right? Like. You can get a false sense of security by having this just dominant seven-one guy who no one can guard because he's a physical freak. That and that's that's my only point. The question is if it's a false sense of security or a real sense of security. That's what you have to figure out. Good point. Right? I mean, you have to, that's why you have to see it against Nate Rovers, Reavers Rovers, and then see, okay, well I would I want to see you spend an entire year covering a Michigan team that plays through like a uh, the most ball dominant center in <laughs> in college basketball you the biggest proponent of small ball basketball take as many threes as humanly possible big men are irrelevant now look at you what do you do now what is what are the forget the fate of Michigan basketball what is the fate of UN moves <laughs> I don't think that I don't think that's a fair take it's 100% a fair. Listen, I might not know anything about basketball, but I know a thing or two about media coverage. Can we still make fun of Iowa if Michigan just turns into Iowa? No, I'm going to make fun of you That's if Michigan fine. turns into Iowa. <laughs> Long sigh. All right. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, Michigan will never play defense the way Iowa does. That's fair. But Hunter and, Dickinson's also not I think, Garza. I think Hunter Dickinson has a degree of potential to grow in his ball screen defense. I like I don't see him as a like without question black hole defensively. Like I, I think he can progress once he figures things out. I think a little bit. He's a bad ball screen defender, but there are things you can do to build a ball screen defense around him. Uh, I think the much bigger concern is that his defensive rebounding is not particularly good, and he really struggles to grab any rebounds like that are more than a foot away from him, and that was kind of exploited a bit by Penn State. I think that's a bigger long-term concern. Um, uh, so that's, I think, probably a bigger area of emphasis, and really in the sense he's going to have to figure out how to – learn that maybe sometimes you don't need to try to block a shot and you're better off trying to rebound stuff like that. And so I think his, his growth as a rebounder is almost as important as in the ball screen defense, because that was exploited. I mean, there are rebounds in that Penn state game where they just kind of fall to the ground and he can't quite get to them because he's boxing out and it's just not, he's not explosive in those spots. And that's, that's an issue. 
you can make up yeah, for it with it, guys like Franz it's and Isaiah. It's interesting that he's huge, but he's also not a guy who throws his body around, which is it's good in the sense that he doesn't commit a lot of dumb fouls. It's bad in the sense that he probably doesn't even really go after some of those rebounds that you're talking about, right? He's not a like high active attack the ball, right? You're just clearing out bodies to get the ball every single time where it's, yeah, it's terrific that he's not getting himself foul trouble, but at the same time, there are balls that he should get to that he's not even getting close to. I, I'd rather have the guy who stays on the court. Um, but that's where it's, it's on Isaiah Livers and Shawnee Brown and Franz Wagner to rebound the ball because you're right. He's never going to be a, you know, 10 rebounds a night guy. Maybe not never. I wouldn't say, I, I shouldn't use the word never. No, right now, he, he will not be. He could certainly, by the, if, you know, if he's there as a sophomore, he could certainly be a dominant rebounder with a year working with Juwan Howard. But right now, that's not happening. All right. Let's talk a little uh, Michigan State. All right. Yeah. Nice win over Oakland. When I say nice, I mean, they scored 109 points <laughs> and allowed Oakland to score uh, 91. A really weird game. It's almost like the same way that uh, Penn State is a little bit of an anomaly defensively. Uh, Oakland can be a little bit of an anomaly offensively. I, like Michigan State is not going to give up. 91 points in any game. Michigan State is not probably going to have a guy like Rashad Williams make eight three-pointers against them in another game this year. Um, A bit of an outlier, but... I mean, nonetheless, probably furious about (laughs) the, the defensive performance, rightfully so, but, you know, when you have a team go 18 for 34 on threes... Uh, some of that you kind of have to put your hands up. A lot of those threes weren't just set your feet, bang them threes. There were some ridiculous shots made. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State assisted on 82% of its made baskets, had 32 assists, and rebounded 54% of its missed shots. And those are both just ridiculous stats. I mean, that Oakland defense did cause some turnovers, but that was about it. Are you, I feel like... You, you can't be happy with that defense performance, though. I, I get that Rashad Williams went crazy, but you probably don't want to let a horizon guard go for 36 on you, do you? No. Um, Michigan State has at times had this weird tendency to play down to its competition, and whether it is a matter of – um, I, I think I don't think it's lack of effort as much as it's like these kind of it's really hard to describe that everyone's kind of it just seems like everyone's kind of looking at each other at times to know where you're going or know what you're doing and whether it's a communication thing like whether it's a hey on offense Cassius Winston was the, you know, orchestrator of everything. And on defense, Xavier Tillman was the orchestrator of 
everything. And now both of those voices are missing and they're trying to kind of find the levels of stability on both sides, levels of identity on both sides, levels of um, kind of that um, flowing functionality is, is lacking. Um, And as good as they can be about against Duke, they can be at stretches look very mediocre against Oakland or Detroit or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. I mean, lo- like long-term, I, I I don't see their problems as being things that translate to long-term issues. If you'll buy that. Yeah. I, I mean, everyone, I mean, we are ready to, like everything looks so great after that Duke game and they went and beat mm-hmm. Duke. It turns out maybe Duke isn't that good. And then the three after no, since then. No, maybe. Duke isn't that good. <laughs> fair. And the three games since then have not really been particularly inspiring efforts, I would say, from Michigan State. That like You'd want to kind of round into form, I guess, going into Big Ten play, but I don't think that's what we've seen. Um, so – I feel like we're kind of stuck. Like those were like, it's sort of a similar deal where we've seen what Michigan state can be defensively on its best day. Mm -hmm. We still don't know, I guess what, I just feel like there's still some uncertainty with how the pieces fit together on this side of things too. Offensively, just, just what's your general vibe of like, this team doesn't really have an identity. Would you say like moving forward? No, I totally agree. I mean, I, they between like Michigan, Michigan state definitely mirror each other in those ways. And like, sometimes the best option isn't the most obvious one. Right. And sometimes there's guys that aren't maybe the most prolific guys who are, Hey, probably the best option at this time, like Malik Hall. Yeah. Good things happen every time he's on the court and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, what do you do with Malik Hall? Right when your three and your four are Aaron Henry and Joey Hauser, you know, like okay, you have to shape shift some things around this very deep rotation, similar to Michigan, um, and find maybe the right combination game to game as opposed to for a prolonged period or a season long period. But that's a hard way to play, no. Like it's it's a hard way of doing things, and I feel like both of these schools are in kind of similar spots in that. Yeah, I mean, the similarity between the two is that they don't really have an alpha point guard who's going alpha to guard, right. get everyone involved and like know what the team needs and base. They have point guards who play point guard or do point guard things, but they're not they're not that guy that Cassius Winston or Xavier Simpson was, right? Mm-hmm. I I guess for me the big surprise is Michigan State is ranked ninth in adjusted offensive efficiency and 42nd adjusted defensive efficiency on camp. I would expect those to be flipped entering this year. And the number, the, the defense number just stands out to me and it feels too low. Like Michigan state has been really good defensively at times this year that Notre Dame game, they had that lockdown stretch, the Duke game, they played great defensively. So I guess that's sort of just a product of these buy games that went a little south at times and probably that Oakland game is skewing it a lot just because of what it is. But are, do you think well, I, this I, comes I think back and they're flipped? 
I think there are some explanations to it. There, you know, you've got Foster lawyers playing more minutes than he ever has. Joshua Langford probably is not the defender that we had grown used to pre-injury, right? I'm not saying he's a bad defender, but I'm sorry, Joshua Langford right now, when you watch him, he is not a mm-hmm. put him on someone and lock him down defender. Like he's going to be in position, but he's he's not what he was, okay, defensively. That's just the way it is. And then on the front line, you have kind of this ever-rolling rotation at both spots where you're susceptible in ball screens. You're susceptible to any kind of stretch big who you're playing against. You're susceptible to, you know, Marcus Bingham playing times where, yes, he's going to make a spectacular block, but he's also going to give up two buckets because he's out of the position or doing whatever. These are things that are going to have to be figured out in time and based on history you probably trust that that will happen right um but right now it's rocket watts who is probably mentally trying to figure out things on offense more on defense and is getting by on defense because he is so ridiculously physically talented and then aaron henry is aaron henry um all the you have the bodies around those guys to fall into place and, and make it a really good defensive team, but it's not. It's going to take a minute, I think. Here, it, it'll be. It'll be February when you probably see this team defend at the level that it's going to be truly capable of, and I think they're already like they're a pretty good defensive team right now. But the ceiling is a lot higher, and they have a way to get there. Do you tr- like? Do you think they end up? a better defensive or offensive team? Probably a better defensive team. So does that mean they're just top top 15 in both, or does that mean that the offense – Oh, I mean, if you're talking about like – Yeah, I well, mean like I'm actual, actual, actual rating-wise is like – No, just like in number. general. Like, to have, like, like I'm thinking more identity, right? Yeah, like, I I think this team it when it, when this team is winning games in February and March, its identity will be defensive. It might still be highly efficient offensively, but it's going to win games on the defensive side. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I I do think you should be able to build a really good defense around Aaron Henry. Like his defensive performance this year has been really good, so that should be there. But I I think the one thing that you worry maybe doesn't get figured out is the five and just who is the most reliable defender in that spot and what that means. Like who you're just, I still, there's still no more clarity at the center position. I would say than there was when the season started. Do you think there is, would you, would you like to see them use the first six to 10 games of big 10 play using this, assorted variety or start to lock in on a guy now or do so later? I mean, I don't really think there's a guy to lock in on. Is there, who would you lock in as a center and say, we are going to play him a bunch. Julius Marble. In my opinion, in my opinion, I would go, I would go five to eight games in big 10 play and, and let, and go the way that they're going right now. But 
I, I would be curious in trying to build up Julius Marble into thinking that he is your primary five. I mean, he played six minutes against Oakland. I know. Part of that style of play, I assume. I don't. I, just, I mean, I don't. I, I personally, I don't agree with that. Like, yeah, I his think, playing time doesn't fall. Like, there's no sense that that's going to happen. Uh, do you think that Marble has the defensive option? I mean, he hasn't blocked a shot all year, right? He, he's not going to fix your defense. Do you think he would? Do you think he has defensive upside, or is it more that oh, he can give you more offensively, where he's kind of a scorer and can hit mid-range jumpers and finish inside and is a little more mobile with what he can do in that regard. I mean, I think when you play him, uh, he gets rebounds. He is active. He is a decent defender. Uh, he can get you a bucket. At some point, you have to go with what you have versus what you hope you have. And what you hope you have is Marcus Bingham suddenly turning this light switch on. And at some point this year, if it continues to kind of be this, you don't know what you get from possession to possession, game to game, day to day with Bingham, are you going to let someone be your primary five? You're, I think they're still starting Kithier, right? So you're starting Kithier. Bingham's your upside guy. Marble is this okay. like odd stopgap, right? Like, well, what is it? What are you going to be? The other thing you have is- because a guy like I'm sorry, like a guy like Julius Marble. It we don't know what happens if you play him 23 minutes and let him go. Let him go play a game, right? Who knows? I mean, I'd be, I'm just saying, I'd be curious to see it. The obvious answer is still just play Malik Hallmore and play Hauser at the five for long stretches. I, that's going to have to be part of You're not, you're not going, I agree with that, but that's a eight to 10 minute a game option tops probably. Okay. So now you're down to 30 minutes. You have to fill. I, I just, you're, the Kithier thing, if he's going to keep trotting out there as for the first five minutes of each half, basically, right? All right, so now you're down to 20. And then you have Marcus Bingham, where you're going to keep giving him a chance. Well, there's eight minutes. And then you have Marble filling in the scraps, and that's sort of what you're doing over and over. So I, I haven't seen anything from any of those guys that says, okay, well, I need to be But the you're guy. just describing the minute allocation as it is. But how's what that going to change? I don't know. What do you, I'm asking you what you, what do you think brings Michigan State closest to whatever could be a perceivable ceiling? I I still think Marcus Bingham has way more defensive upside than any of those other guys, but every time he takes a shot more than 2 feet away from the basket, he's going to sit on the bench again. So it's just it's a circle over and over again. Yeah, but it's also like again, Marcus Bingham for the shots that he defends and blocks the amount that it's, and it's not just a bang on this guy, but like the amount that are given up via fouls or unnecessary goaltends or ball screens, like 
I don't know, man. It, they are six games in, and there's been moments where I thought, you know, okay, maybe it's maybe Marcus Bingham can be the guy, but I'd be more inclined sooner rather than later to let a guy like Marble believe that he can be the primary five and let him go play a game that way and just see what happens. All right. You know, we're, you know what this calls for? Uh, some way too small with- of sample size hoop lens on off stats. We're going to, we're going to go down the Michigan state bigs and we're going to say, are they better on offense or defense when each guy's on the court? I thought, I thought you were going to start making bets and I was all the way in for it. No, this is, but this is, I feel like these are all over the Michigan B. I don't know if people are pulling these numbers with Michigan state. And to be fair, these are small sample sizes, but let's just look at each big and how they're doing on the court. Julius Marble, Michigan State's offense is 27 points per 100 possessions better with Marble on the court. That drives. Um, he's great on off. Like he makes, he's the offensive option. Defense, eight points per 100 possessions worse with him on the court. So eight points per 100 possessions. Okay. Worse. So he's a big plus on offense, a medium minus on defense um who are we gonna pull next bingham bingham the offense is 10 points per 100 better with bingham on the court and the defense is seven points per 100 better with bingham on the court so both kind of medium positives uh who are we getting into next let's go to kithier i'm a, so kithier offense is only four points per 100 better two points per hundred better defensively. So he's basically, that's basically like the, the most Kithier stat I could hear. Basically Here's, on average. Thomas Kithier is the veteran wide receiver who on third and four will get you four yards and on third and nine will get you four yards. Yeah. That's and that's the, no disrespect. So <laughs> that's Thomas Kithier. The answer in all that is, I don't know if there is one answer, but I do think there's still upside to Bingham in this equation. I mean, what are Hall and Hauser on the court together? This is what we need. Hall and Hauser with no bigs. What are we thinking the splits are going to be? I would guess 20 on offense and even on defense. No, they've actually been bad on offense and bad on defense, (laughs) but it's a small sample size. So maybe maybe that's not the, the overall answer. But either way, I... I don't think there's any obvious answer to this whole big man shuffle for Michigan State. And I think the answer is, well, we have a lot of guys. Let's keep playing them. And that's how we get by. I don't know that they're – I don't think bot sell, selling on one and going all in on another is really the, the move. No, I mean, I'm not saying like right now you have to cut bait on anything. But I would like – like. Maybe find a game here at some point. Julius Marble, most games he's played in his, or most minutes he's played in his career were 12 minutes against Duke and Detroit. And he was pretty damn productive in in both. Um, I would just be kind of curious if you went into an actual game and said, you're starting and you're playing 24 minutes tonight against Northwestern, right? That's next Sunday's game, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
Let's see what you do. You got the job tonight. There's a case to be made, no? I mean, when you have just total, uh, not disorder, but this this kind of lack of clarity, lack of answers at that spot. Who's been at any point this year the best performance by a five? So it's been Julius Marble. So here's my question. I'm not on Michigan State Zoom call, so I don't know. Like, Marble plays great against Duke. I feel like everyone's always said good things about Julius Marble. What what do people up there say when he never plays more than 12 minutes ever in a game? Like, is that just accepted? Is it like he's not doing this or we want more from him in this? Is there like a rationale for that? Because you've been from hyping the, Julius the Marble. The coaches or the, or the media? Like, do people ask why? Like, what do the coaches say about his role? You know what I mean? Like, is there a – So I wasn't at the last two games. I wasn't at Western. I wasn't at Oakland. Uh, if I were on either of the Zoom calls, I would have been curious to probably ask. But about. you've been hyping up Julius Marble for a year and a half, and he's never played more than 12 minutes in a game. And obviously, you've talked to people up there who like Julius Marble, mm-hmm. but there has to be a reason that he hasn't played more than that, right? I don't know what the reason is. I, I think a lot of the reason is wanting to keep Thomas Kithier engaged because you need Thomas Kithier. I think a lot of the reason is Marcus Bingham because the upside of Marcus Bingham. Um, beyond that, I mean, I don't Thomas know. Kithier is not just going to go in the tank if he doesn't start. Like, it's not like he needs to get touches or something. Right? Yeah, come on. I, I do. I'm not on the staff. No, I'm just trying know. to figure out like, if like we can look at Michigan and say, like there are games where Brandon Johns looks like Julius Marble and you're like, this guy has to play all the time, but it's pretty easy to say, oh, well, he makes all these mental mistakes. The other 10 games you watch. I, sure. Is the, is it a defense thing? I'm just curious what the kind of overall opinion is on Marble and why he hasn't been able to, I guess, break through. Well, I mean, part of it's also like the Michigan State thing. Like they play a ton of dudes. Always have. Um, but like the fact that like Marble had to go into Tom Izzo's office before the Duke game and like basically be like, yo, you got to give me more minutes. And that's what got him more minutes, apparently. So the story goes, I don't know, that could be just total narrative bullshit, but um, I don't know. So there's no good answer. I wish I, I don't, I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer to that question. I, I have an opinion and that's that Julius Marple should play more. Okay. I, I mean, and they, and they should listen to me because anyone who listens to this podcast knows I've knows never been wrong about anything. <laughs> I guess my question, like we can talk about, it'd be great to give Marble a run out at Northwestern and let him play 30 minutes and see what he, or 23 minutes even, and let him see what he does. The big question is who do you trust at home on Christmas day against Wisconsin, right? Like, like Marcus Bingham, you, like I trust that he could go for like, 12 points and six blocks against Northwestern and everyone would be loving him. But then he has games like at Duke where he just kind of isn't there and is not making an impact. So he's never, it's hard for him to get that trust. Do you have any confidence that Julius Marble could play 25 very good serviceable minutes about against Northwestern and play 25 very good serviceable minutes against Wisconsin? I, I don't know. I I've never seen him play more than 12. So I, I assume that there's not a lot of trust in that. 
I don't know. Like, who are you going to trust? Is he going to be able to defend pick and pops with Michael Potter? Like, I, yeah. I don't have the answer. I don't. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, the Wisconsin game has the Hauser lineup written all over it. It's just a matter of if they do it or not. Yeah, well, Wisconsin still can't even figure out how to play Potter for more than 22 minutes a game. So, I don't know. It, it's just interesting to think about in the context of, like, how much depth is too much depth, right? Like, Michigan State's ranked 20th in the country in bench minutes. And I feel like not all those guys need to play. And it'll be interesting if that condenses at all in Big Ten play, right? Like, Gabe Brown's been really, really good. But I mean, like Gabe Brown and Malik Hall are they demand minute. You have to play them. You have to find roles for them. They're both really good. And, and what's the path bring, to get them more minutes? Playing small. Yeah. I agree. But like us talking about Michigan State playing small and the reality of what Michigan State is going to do are two different things. Like Tom Izzo plays centers. <laughs> So does he's, Tom not, place? he's he's not going to play Hauser at the five for 22 minutes in a game. It's not going to happen. So we have to have the conversation of what the rotation is going to be like at the five, because that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, you can say you play centers, but your centers have to give you a reason to play them, right? I, I don't disagree. Maybe not. I, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to be really curious to see. I'm really disappointed we didn't get to see Aaron Henry, primary creator against Wisconsin pack line or against Virginia pack line because now we're going to get it against Wisconsin pack line. So we got to wait. But yeah, that sucked. Losing that, that game sucked in terms of crafting massive hot takes. On, yeah, because on that state. would tell us how prepared. I, that's like they're just kind of emblematic of what a Big Ten defense is and the problems you're going to have to solve in Big Ten play. And we just haven't got it yet. And whatever, I mean, Oakland's bullshit trap zone nonsense isn't going to tell us shit for that. So you're not going to get 80% of your shots assisted against a team like Wisconsin. They just don't allow it. So that's what I want to see from this team. And who is should have got it. Who is the third most important player on Michigan State? Third most important player on Michigan State for me is still Rocket. No, the third most important player. On Michigan State? Yeah. The first two being Aaron Henry and Rocket. Well, well, well where, where is your Hauser hype train going if he's not one of the top two most important players on the team? I didn't say most productive. Or I didn't say most valuable. I said most important in terms of their So you're success. saying Hauser's not as important because Malik Hall could just kind of step into his I th- I think I think Joey Hauser can go and get you 17 and 8 regardless of what everyone else is doing. That's not important? Wait, what, what are you trying to say here? Like in terms of their overall success. Like I think Joey Hauser on this team can get 17 and 8 whether they go 11 and 9 in conference oh. or 16 and 4 in the conference. You know what I mean? Sure. So who's so my third? I, I still think Rocky would be my third most important player on the team. 
I think so you, you could, like, I think Rocket could, like, is important, but you could build the team around Henry in a way if, like, you didn't have Rocket. Does that make sense? Yeah. Who? So who's your third guy? Um, mine's Langford. Because he's going to play a ton. Like, it, I think it's very clear after these first few games that he's going to end up playing 20 to 25 minutes in every single game. And are those going to be productive minutes or are those going to be minutes where Josh Langford is on the court because Tom Izzo trusts him? And there's a difference between those two things, right? There's a difference between you being out there because the coach doesn't trust anyone on the bench and knows that you won't be at a position and he's going to lose his shit. And there's a difference between you being on those minutes on the court and making shots, taking shots, right? Getting rebounds, getting in the mix, doing shit. And there's been times this year where Langford's been in his progression back, obviously, this is not a knock at all, but like it's been, it's been quite a thing to watch this guy go from, you know, trying to ease his way back into playing and actually, you know, attacking a ball coming off the rim and getting a rebound or, you know, setting his feet and taking a shot with confidence because if he's going to be a guy who can take and make shots and get rebounds and be just a, you know, a kind of a old veteran son of a bitch, I think he makes them significantly better if he can play in a productive way and not just be on the court for 25 minutes. I mean, you're basically looking at right now, Langford and Gabe Brown are basically splitting 40 minutes kind of in that off-ball spot-up role. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but I think you know like what the upside of those guys is in those roles. So Gabe Brown's shooting 71% on twos and 52% on threes. Langford's shooting 60% on twos and 36% on threes. Gabe Brown's made almost twice as many threes like – Gabe Brown has a lot more upside and a lot less maybe trust that he's going to always be in the right spot, right? I'm, I'm not disagreeing with that. You And you know my feelings on Gabe Brown. But I'm saying, in terms of the most important player, Tom Izzo is going to play Josh Langford for 25 minutes a game. Do we need to have the conversation of should he play Gabe Brown for more minutes a game? That's we can. My question. We, can we certainly can. Us having that conversation is not going to change what he does, but we, we can have that conversation. But I you, feel like – Are you looking gonna, at the Ken Palm page right now? I'm look, Right now I'm looking at Langford's Ken Palm page. Oh, because I was going to throw out a question. How many free throw attempts do you think Langford and Brown have combined this year? Uh, I'm going to guess attempts. Free throw attempts? 15. Six. So these these dudes are basically sitting in the corner to make plays, right? So Mm -hmm. I I don't think that that's the most important role. I think either of them could play 35 minutes a game 
if they needed to. I mean, obviously, like Lankford's health, whatever else, but I don't know that they change your upside that much. I don't know. Like, I'm just curious. Gabe Brown makes wild plays. Lankford, I don't know where he's at. In like, I don't know. I expect. I think Gabe Brown has a bigger chance to make a bigger impact if he can get the minutes. I don't think he has enough trust necessarily to get those minutes yet, and that'll be really interesting to see in the Big Ten. If Lankford's shooting 32%, do you go to Gabe Brown for more minutes? Gabe Brown's always sort of fallen out of our lives for weeks at a time when he doesn't seem to be on the right side of the page. This is what I said this in the offseason. Tom Izzo is going to play Josh Langford above all else because he's going to trust him. And I think he's he's going to play 20 to 25 minutes all year. And he's going to play in key moments. And I'm a huge, like, I've always, I am pro gay Brown. But I don't know. I'll be really curious to see what they do rotation-wise when they are in close Big Ten games coming up. Yeah. It's going to be very telling. I think they have to cut it down a little bit. And I just mm-hmm. don't know like where you cut will be telling, right? Like the only guys who are playing like no, no knock minutes, right? Like guaranteed to get up around 30 in a close game are going to be what Henry Watson Hauser. And then everyone else is just trying to get to the mid twenties, however they can get there in playing time and could be left out too. Right. You, do you think Langford will be playing over 25 minutes in Big Ten play? What's, how many minutes is he playing right now? All right, his five games so far, 22 minutes, 23 minutes, 29 minutes, 26 minutes, 21 minutes. He played 26 against Notre Dame. He played 29 against Notre Dame. So I guess the question, so he's playing 24 a night. Do you think his minutes go up or down in Big Ten play? You think up? I'd be inclined to say that they might go up. I that makes sense just on a sheer trust basis, but I don't know that he's proven that he's going to be the best option to get those. I don't, right. I do not disagree with that at all. And he could be, I mean, I don't say he can't be, I don't know. That'll be interesting. I, I don't know how that plays out and I think it probably changes a bit, but I don't know. I agree with you that it's going to be hard to, turn like if you're going to play him 25 minutes to start the season it's going to take an awful lot to convince Izzo that he shouldn't play him for 25 minutes every night right like you're right. not going to cut bait exactly. on Josh Langford because he's been there with you for half a decade exactly I don't disagree with that yeah well any other takes on Michigan State before we get out of here no I mean ready to get some real games going here and have some Stuff to tackle in the Big Ten. You got a pick on – let's just do a pick on Rutgers-Maryland because it's an hour after we're going to launch our podcast. Oh. You have a – we like to look as bad as we can. Rutgers-Maryland, this game is – In College Park. An empty Xfinity Center. Rutgers-Maryland. I like Rutgers by six. Yeah, I, I like Rutgers big. I think Rutgers is going to – Big. 9, 10, double-digit okay. win. I, I, I'm convinced I mean, on Rutgers. Maryland's going to try to take a bunch of jump shots, and they're all going to be contested. 
So I'm a little worried that Geo Baker might be back tonight, but <laughs> they'll feed Ron Harper and let's do this. All right. Well, uh, if you want to tell us that we're wrong or make fun of us, of course you can do so. But uh, when you do so, be sure to leave a friendly comment <laughs> in the iTunes store. Leave us a review. Subscribe to UM Hoops. Subscribe to The Athletic. Send out a gift subscription to uh, those people that you love in your life. And uh, you got anything else? You got anything else to plug? That's a wrap. All right. Well, be sure to tip those bartenders and servers, and we will see you guys, I don't know, a couple days next week, whenever.